Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. So I don't know about you, but um, sometimes as we're kind of pushing past a year of being in quarantine, being in COVID, sometimes I fantasize about travel Is that just me? Any of you fantasize about travel at all? And sometimes I'm not just fantasizing about like where I want to go, but literally fantasizing like the act of traveling, like the act of like locking a door and then walking away and then getting into a vehicle that gets you to another vehicle that's a giant tube that flies through the sky, like just kind of remembering all that. And it, it brings me back to, um, I took a, a trip to, uh, I lived a semester in Ecuador for one of my college programs. And um, any t- anyone who knows, um, put it in the comments if you know about this. When you fly to a Spanish-speaking country, obviously like the announcements are either in Spanish or English in Spanish. Um, but something that I didn't realize until I was in that plane, in flying coach, I think I was like the center aisle on this international flight or the center seat in this international flight. Um, and, and there in the front pocket, there's that like, there's like Sky Magazine to buy like your Harry Potter uh, trinkets or whatever. But there's also like that like promo magazine for the airline of like, these are all the places you can go. And if you're flying to a Spanish speaking country, you might notice that and the magazine, like, let's just say this is a magazine. So the magazine is in English in one side. And then if you flip it over and reverse it, uh, it's in Spanish on the other side. So it's like English, and then you flip it over and it's Spanish. And it's the exact same articles, exact same pictures. Everything is the same except the language. And they do that because they know that Sometimes you need to approach things from different angles depending on who you're speaking to and and what they need to hear. And as we step into this book in Revelation, uh, this chapter in Revelation, we hear about two scrolls or two books, depending on how it's translated. One of them is a book of deeds. It's a, it's a book that describes all of the things that you've done in your life. And then there is the book of life, which... Uh, uh, we'll talk about in a little bit, but describes what God has done. The book of deeds and the book of life. These are uh, what is mentioned in Revelation. And I really like to think of these not as two separate books, but rather two configurations of the same book being explained in two different directions, but ultimately conveying the same message about God's love. And this is important because when we approach these texts, you know, you can ask the staff when I was like getting ready to preach this, I'm like, oh, this is like the judgiest chapter where it's like, and then the people who weren't written in the book of life get thrown into the lake of fire forever. Yippee! Like, it's like, this is so counter to so much of my theology. And as I continue to pour into this text, both like, emotionally and spiritually, as well as reading scholarship on it, I, I, I really started to notice how um, the, the role of the books, the, of what is written in the scroll, matters. 
because ultimately what this what the book of deeds which describes everything that you've done in your life what the book of deeds is trying to show you is that your actions matter it matters how you show up to the world even when no one's watching and this isn't some like elf on the shelf creepiness this is saying like you are an agent in your life. You have choice in your life. And do you know how revolutionary of a message that is for people who have been marginalized their whole life, for people who have had decisions made for them their whole life? Do you know how radical it is to realize that your actions matter, that it does matter how you show up to the world? What you say and what you do is consequential because no matter, uh, it, it's like it's like what um, we heard at the anti-Asian violence, anti-violence against Asians <laughs> protest is uh, one of the speakers was like, the world is trying to tell you that you're a no one, but you're a someone. The world is trying to tell you that you're a no one, but you're a someone. And what your actions matter means is that you are someone because the actions of someone's matter. Your actions matter. God cares about your actions in the world. God cares that you show up in a way that knows that you are claiming responsibility for the power that you have been given and stewarding it in a way to change the world to look a little bit more like the kingdom of God. It matters. And in the end of Matthew, we hear exactly how we should be stewarding our power, how we should be stewarding our actions. Jesus says, um, uh, uh, I, when I was in the world and I was hungry, you didn't give me food. When I was in the world and thirsty, you, I, uh, you didn't give me water. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. And people are like, Jesus, we never saw you naked. Like, I feel like I would have remembered if I saw you naked, Jesus. And Jesus is like, anytime any child of God is hungry or thirsty or naked, that is happening to me. Jesus was pretty clear that the way that we relate to folks who are getting the most stepped on by society is how we relate to Christ. And the book of deeds is trying to show us like, that matters even if no other person is watching. That matters for your soul because your soul longs for a God who is showing up in the least most marginalized members of society, the most stepped on members of society, your soul is longing to unite with a God who is showing up with those folks. And unless your deeds reflect that, not just on the stage, not just on social media, but in your life, then your soul, your heart will never be able to unite with the one your heart loves. And that is the greatest tragedy of all. And so the book of Jesus is trying to say, um, Yes, this does matter. And there's even this uh, dimension of accountability, which as anyone who's in a, in a functioning friendship or romantic relationship or child-parent relationship or whatever knows, accountability is a prerequisite for love. Accountability says like, you need to know how you are impacting me and I, we need to create repair for the times that you've negatively impacted me. That's what, that's all accountability means. Like, I think that um, people are so scared of this, like, 
uh, topic of judgment or this topic of God being a judge. And it's like, yeah, that is scary if God isn't the God of love, if Jesus isn't the Prince of Peace. But because I believe they are, their judgment, their accountability is about repairing a relationship so that there can be love. So one side of the book is this book of deeds that's like, yeah, your actions matter. But just so you don't get so engrossed with yourself or so hard on yourself that you believe that your actions are the whole story, there is also the book of life. Now, in the Old Testament, the book of life is referenced as, um, it's a description of like, who is alive. So in there's Psalms that talk about like, um, you've blotted out my name from the book of life, meaning like you killed me. <laughs> like you're in the book of life. If you're alive, you get scratched out and then you're dead. That's what the book of life means in a lot of the Old Testament. But here in Revelation, it seems to have a different meaning. It seems to be talking about who God is welcoming into heaven, who God is welcoming into this like changed new world. Um, and And so all of it is like, if you remember that we're operating off of this image of the Paschal lamb, the slain lamb, like all of it is like, who gets to escape from the empire? Who gets to be like Moses fleeing with his people to a new land, except towards a, the love of God? Um, and, and I mean, uh, spoiler alert, my personal theological conviction is everyone. <laughs> Because when I really think about it, when I look around the world, especially in the 21st century, especially when we are participating in systems of global economy, especially when I'm recording this on technology that requires uh, uh, rare metals found in Africa mined by potential slave labor, right? Like, especially when we have our, this huge interconnected web just through economics, much less like cultural and, and spiritual, I see that uh, if any of us are going down, then all of us are going down. There's not really a threshold <laughs> that I believe like some people could clear and some people couldn't. If what we're being evaluated for is how we treated the least of these, certainly no one in America. Oh my gosh, right? Like maybe like someone who grew up in, in uh, the Warani people in, in, in the Amazon rainforest and they've never had contact with the outside world. Like, I'm not here to judge. I, I don't know what that's like. But when I consider, like, all the friends on my list, it's like, if any of these folks are going to go down, then probably all of us are going to go down because the scale and the impact of our moral decision-making is so complex and large that I don't see how any of us could be considered spotless in the eyes of a loving God. Even the folks who confess Jesus's name, like, hello, the guy who participated in, who murdered people in Atlanta, who shot a bunch of Asian women, identified as Christian. He proclaimed Jesus as savior. The people who uh, stormed the Capitol in the insurrection, like say the name of Jesus at least in what they're doing. And, and I don't believe that simply uttering a name is what, like, clears a threshold for God to be like, yeah, you're welcome into heaven. Now, now you get in. Like, 
if the guy who murdered Asian women is getting into heaven, but my Muslim neighbor uh, isn't getting into heaven and that person didn't murder a bunch of Asian women, like, I must fundamentally misunderstand God. However, through scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, I have come to know a God of deep love who doesn't allow destructive and violent behavior to, um, uh, to just go away unnoticed. And this is kind of the thing that liberals sometimes get at our, our, our panties in a knot. Is that a saying? Uh, something gets knotted when, <laughs> when liberals start thinking about how God loves everyone, because it's kind of like, well, yeah, God loves everyone. I believe that Jesus's, uh, sacrifice on the cross and in resurrection represents like covering everyone like all of creation is saved i believe that and that doesn't mean that we're off the hook there's some stuff that we need to worry work on like even woke folks need to work on like even asian folks need to work on hello internalized anti-blackness like we need to work on how we're showing up to the world and so while like a lot of Folks in, in America, a lot of American Christianity, a lot of conservative American Christianity emphasizes personal responsibility and proclaiming the name of Jesus. I think a lot of progressives are like, well, we believe that God's love uh, just saved everyone. And therefore, like, I'll see you on Christmas and Easter, maybe. Bye. And it's like, nah. Like, we need to believe that God's love covers all of creation and we need to believe that that love is inviting us to respond and to change because going back to like a functioning loving relationship if you tell someone like i love you if you tell a child like i unconditionally love you which by the way like is a helpful thing for children to hear developmentally if you tell a child about unconditional love but then let them make any sort of self-destructive or other destructive action or word, let them just run amok and make a mess everywhere, you're not actually demonstrating love to that person because love requires an awareness of, of an exchange. Like love is like a circuit that it has to be completed between two entities or, or, or between your understanding of yourself even like there has to just be a, a, an object and a subject of love that is constantly engaging in this exchange of uh, spiritual energy and God isn't going to just say like I accept you okay yeah <laughs> like and, and I think that these two books set against each other try to approach us as vectors towards a middle that says like God loves us enough to accept us unconditionally and God loves us enough to transform us into who we are and to transform us into um, a fuller, more abundant, more loving, more gracious self in the world. And, and we have a certain responsibility to respond to love and to show up to love, but all of that is wrapped in love. So what do we do with the, with the image of, of people getting thrown into a lake of fire? Well, first of all, I would, I would point out, if you've been following with the sermon series, like, 
Revelation is a genre of literature that is not just like a, a tourism blog that's like, and then I saw God and, and, and God threw people into fire. I hope that you can make it sometime. Uh, my friend went to hell and he only got me this t-shirt. Like, <laughs> like, Revelation is not tourism literature. Revelation is a genre that is calling back to a lot of Old Testamental images and mashing them all together in really interesting ways. And so first of all, it's worth noting that like this whole concept of lake of fire uh, thing is present in Daniel, which is the other apocalyptic literature that's uh, in the in the Bible. So like, it could be that he's evoking uh, the Daniel understanding of Book of, uh, of Lake of Fire, which by the way, Daniel was written before Jesus existed. So like, okay, so that's kind of interesting. Some Christian authors choose to say, um, hell is an opt-in system. Like not just like while you're on it, not just about like proclaiming the name of Jesus, but it's like, even after you die, you can still choose hell because if there isn't an alternative, then uh, then it's not actually love. Like you, you choose relationship. And so it's like, the fo so some Christian theologians say, the folks uh, saw heaven and saw hell and were like, do you mean that I have to um, die to myself? Do you mean that I have to be in right relationship with people? Do you mean that I have to reckon with people that I don't like also getting into heaven being around there? I would rather do my own thing and then, you know, choosing it. And so um, uh, one of the poetic phrases was like, it's hell has a door, but that door is locked from the inside, right? And at any time that those folks could, could choose heaven. Personally, I think that Jesus's uh, uh, Paschal offering saved all of creation and continues to save all of creation. And I think that hell operates as uh, 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 an imagination of what reality would be like without God so that we can come to understand how crucial God is. Like I was talking to one um, Revelation scholar several years ago about this. And she was like, John is trying to show that hell exists but that doesn't mean that he thinks anyone is going there. But it's kind of like you're walking along this mountainside road and you look down and you see how far down the cliff can go. And all of a sudden you become very grateful for the guardrail that is stopping you from going over the edge, right? Like there's kind of this sense of like, I can't, uh, I need to know or imagine what life without God would be like for me to truly approach the throne full of gratitude and full of love because like I see the difference that God is making in my life. Um, and, and I think that uh, when, when John in Revelation talks about, um, you'll, you'll read in, uh, I think it's 21 or 22, like, and then the sorcerers get thrown down and the people who interpreted the stars and the people who did drugs. And I'm like, dang, that's like a critical mass of people at New City Church. <laughs> um, like the way that I relate to that is, is saying that if you believe that your identity is so consumed 
by one activity or one like object or one idol that isn't God. If you if you are pinning your value and worth to something other than the love of God and become so wrapped up in it, then then that uh, false self is what dies. That false self is what gets thrown to heaven. The lies are what die. The lies about ourselves, the lies about our society, like that is what is dying. And that makes a ton of sense to me as I'm in 2021, because there are a lot of lies that we are hearing about ourselves, that we are no one when actually we are someone that is uh, that necessarily has to die in order for us to be able to be in beloved community together. There are certain lies that we tell about each other and ourselves that we need to uh, one image that I use a lot is like, we need to offer to the compost pile, allow it to be totally deconstructed so that it can be the conditions of life again for us to be in community together. And when I think about it in that way, if hell can be seen as the place where the lies are executed, all of a sudden it's like, a totally different vision, a totally different understanding of the people who are lining the street, throwing their garments on the road as Jesus rides on with a donkey, waving palm branches, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, God, save us. Because what we are begging God to save us from are the lies about who we are and who we have to be as a society. The lies that we can't get rid of gun violence when clearly we can. The lies that women will never be able to lead as well as men when clearly they can. The lies that queer people somehow don't deserve health care. The lies that, that it's okay for a society to have people who don't have homes. The lies are endless. And what we're asking God to do is send all of those lies to hell so that we might be able to live into a heaven realm on earth. And if you think that that is remotely possible from human beings just pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps by saying like, oh, we don't need to believe in religion or God or anything because we can just kind of like be good people and that'll be enough. That is one of the lies that will also be set to compost. <laughs> like we need help that is bigger than ourselves. We have incredible strength within us. We are beautiful and beloved and there's amazing things that well up within us. And that incredible beauty is connected to something that is beyond us. And unless we keep our eyes on what is beyond us, then we'll never, tr we'll always kind of idolize our own self-sufficiency. We'll always idolize um, that we can be our own saviors. And Jesus is trying to offer us a pathway to a new way of living, to compost the lies that we tell ourselves and that society tells us, and to truly believe, truly believe that a God who has watched all of our actions looks at all of who we are and says, I love you. Welcome in. Amen.